Good morning. I like the shirt so much, I asked for one and they gave me one, and I just want to be cool like you. So, <laughs> I want all of y'all to know who are part of this weekend that this wasn't just for middle school students and high school students and leaders, that all of us in leadership and all of us who are part of this community were praying for you guys. We're excited to hear how God was at work in your lives, what it taught you about how to love this city and God's love for this city and God's love for this world. And we are excited for how God is shaping you and how God's gonna use you to shape us. And I particularly wanna thank not just the staff who do an amazing job, Whitney and Billy and Trey and uh, all the interns and, and the people who gave up their houses, but I especially wanna just take some time to thank the D group leaders that are here. Um, Because both as a pastor, we can't do what we do without you guys, but as a father, I give thanks that you all have the passion for this, and you all embody in some ways some of what we're going to be talking about today. And so I want to acknowledge that from the beginning and say how much that we give thanks for you, um, all of you who made this weekend what God wanted it to be, okay? This Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent, and Lent is about a six-week period that we as a church engage in that takes us all the way to Holy Week, what we believe is the most important time in the calendar. Of, it culminates with Good Friday, with the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, and culminates also in Easter Sunday, when we go to the empty tomb and find out he has risen. These are six weeks to prepare ourselves for that. And there's two words that you hear a lot about during Lent. The first word is that Lent is a time for us to reflect. And that's one thing I want you to hear. This is going to be a time in the life of our community and in your life when we are going to encourage you to a time to reflect. That's the first word, reflect. This is a time to think about how you're living your life. This is a time to think about the decisions that you make. These are the times to think about the habits that you build, because most of us are just too busy moving through school or moving through work or moving through our responsibilities that we just so go into default mode and automatic pilot. We wake up, we move, we achieve, we go to sleep, we do it again. This is a time for us to reflect on the decisions we make and how we're living. What decisions are bringing us greater joy and greater life? And what are the decisions and things we do that actually don't bring us life? when we really look at it. Lent is a time to reflect, but it's also, secondly, a time to repent. Because after we reflect, it's a time when we are to do something about our decisions. And when we hear the word repent, it doesn't mean feeling guilty or feeling bad or beating ourselves up. To repent means to turn and move in a new direction. It's an action word. So we're to reflect on the decisions we make that have us going this way, and we think about, is this the way I'm supposed to go? But if not, this is the time to change to change my behaviors, to change my habits, to change my actions so that I come more alive. To reflect and to repent is going to be the thing that is before us. And I am excited about that because what that means if we take this seriously is that in six weeks when we come to the end of Lent, when we get to early April, it means if we take this seriously that many of us are going to encounter Jesus. And as we encounter Jesus, we will make different decisions. That means in six weeks, many of our lives should look different than the way that they look here today. And we should be flourishing. It's a word you're going to hear a lot in the next six weeks. We should come more alive as we do this. And I am excited for how God is going to do that in your life, in my life, and in the life of this community. 
The title of this Lenten series that we're going to be engaging in here in Covenant is, is The Me I Want to Be. That's what we're going to be thinking about, The Me I Want to Be. I think it's a pretty cool title. I didn't think of it. Uh, it actually comes from a book that is helping guide this process for us by uh, an author and a pastor named John Ortberg, who's at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And for the six weeks of Lent, he divides his book into six sections. So many of you have already bought copies of the book. I encourage you to do so if you haven't. Many of you are reading it in small groups. Um, many of you are reading it on your own or talking about it in your own life or in your family. I'd encourage you to do that. If you have not picked it up yet, you still can. And this is not just one of those intellectual books that's food for the thought. It really is very practical about how we live as well as having depth. And so each week, each Sunday, how this is going to work is we are going to, here at Covenant on Sundays, kind of reflect on one of the sections of the book. Today we're reflecting on section one. Now, if you don't get the book or don't read it, that doesn't mean that you get off because Sundays are not a book report. That's not what we're going to be doing, right? We're not going to be going, then on 2021 he says this, and on page 23 he says this, and then he's so great. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be, we don't preach from books, we preach from the Bible. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at scripture passages each Sunday that get at the same themes of the particular section of the book that we've read. So this week, read section one. I'm going to be talking about some of the themes from that today. And what we hope is, is that each week between Sundays and the reading, that it'll layer on top of each other so there's a lot of depth to it, okay? All right. The scripture passage for today, and this is more of a general overview, section one is, of this passage uh, of this book. The other weeks we'll get into a lot more detail. But Ortberg here is just sort of setting up uh, the general themes and words and values that he's going to be lifting up. And the scripture passage for us today is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This is what Paul writes to the Ephesians in the New Testament. He writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that this day, no matter who we are, that you would speak to us about how we live so that we might flourish here today, this week, and in our lives. We pray that you would teach us about how you have created us to be the particular life you've called us to live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So what Paul is writing about here in this uh, second chapter of Ephesians is he's really talking about what the difference is between the old creation and the new creation. What we believe as Christians is that there are certain ways that, that we just sort of are in our lives, and there are certain ways that God has called us to be, and in some ways those aren't the same. Like you might be someone who's really greedy, and you're like, I just like money and like spending it on yourself, and that's the only thing that I like to do with money is just to get more and more stuff. And God's like, yeah, that's important, but I've actually created you first to actually share with other people. As I have shared with you, you are called to share with other people, right? And so that's repentance. That's moving in a new direction. This is the question that's before us today. And I want you to, I want you to really think about this today and this week. The question from the beginning of this series is this. What are the things about you that God wants to change? Like maybe being selfish or gossiping about people, or just doing lots of other stuff that are usually centered on us. What are the things that God wants you to change? And repentance is you changing. But what are the things that you keep trying to change about yourself? And repentance is God going, 
Stop trying to change. I made you that way for a reason. There are certain things that the Lord, and the example John Ortberg gave is that he says that, he says that for many people, uh, one of the things that you talk about is being an extrovert or an introvert, right? And he said the thing about many introverts is they will have periods of their life, maybe a lot of parts of their life, where they want to be more extroverted, and you'll have extroverts that want to be more introverted. And so you'll have like introverts that are going, man, I want to go in and be the life of the party and where everybody kind of turns when I walk in and all the focus and attention is and I know the thing to say and I don't ever feel tongue-tied. I wish I was more like that. I'm going to work at being more like that. And then you have extroverts who are going, oh my gosh, I am sick of putting my foot in my mouth all the time and, and messing things up. I wish I could just be more quiet and more at peace with myself and more introverted. And Ortberg says that all of us need to know, he's like, you're never going to change that. God's looking at you going, I made you and wired you to work a certain way. And you trying to change those parts of you is just going to make you miserable because it'll never be enough. What are the parts of you that God's asking to change? And what are the parts of you where the change is accepting that God has uniquely made you the way you are for a reason? And it takes wisdom to know, great wisdom to know the difference in those things. I'll tell you a story to try to illustrate this. And, and this isn't about just me, this is about you being able to connect in your own life. As you know, if you've been here before, up until I was about 15 or 16 years old, if you asked me what I wanted to do with my life, the answer was basketball. Basketball was what I was going to play, definitely going to play in college. I didn't know about professional yet, but I felt like I was really destined to be a basketball player. And when you look at me right now, there are not many people who look at me and go, you look like a basketball player, right? <laughs> That's not something that happens. But up until I was 15, it wasn't actually as outlandish as you might think because I played on teams starting in elementary school. I played in camps. I made my middle school team. I started on my middle school team. I was one of the best players on the team. And so up until high school, when I was kind of 15, 16, that's what I did, and I was good at it. I was better than most everybody else, and I knew it. So I was the kid that when it started high school, I felt like when tryouts for the junior varsity happened, that I was one of the people who just kind of had to like try out, right? It's like the coach is going, thank God Thomas Daniels here. Let's just see who else needs to try out to make the team. But unfortunately, the way high school works is you have all these middle schools that come together. And so it wasn't just the middle schoolers I knew who I knew I was better than, but all these other middle school players I had never seen before, they showed up for tryouts too. We had a much bigger school. Now, of the many, many people who tried out, I was good enough and I made the team. I was one of the 12 players that made the team. Everyone else was cut. But I was like the 12th player of 12, right? I went from my whole life starting and being one of the best players to in my ninth grade year, the question was never like, the coaches never said, should we start Thomas Daniel? That conversation never happened, right? The only thing that happened was, are we up by enough points to be able to put Daniel in the game and not have him screw everything up? That was, that's the conversation that all of a sudden happened about me, and I wasn't used to it, right? And so at the end of my ninth grade year, after riding the bench the whole year, all 12 players had a meeting with the coach, a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the coach to talk about how we could improve as we tried out for varsity the following year. So I went and met with the coach, I'm like, coach, I'm ready for this. I'm going to work hard. You know, do I need to work on my defense? He was like, definitely need to work on your defense. I was like, how about my shooting? He was like, that could we use some work as well. Ball handling skills, that again you could improve on. He said, but Thomas, the thing that really you need to think about is just kind of your overall athleticism. 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's actually nice for me to sit here and talk to you guys about this. I'm feeling better as I kind of <laughs> reveal this and get it off my chest. Now, you might hear that and go, that's a bad sign. It was a bad sign. But for me, I'm like, all right, all right, coach, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to start working on my athleticism. And so I left that meeting, and I had about six months between the end of basketball season and when summer camp started. And summer camps in high school basketball are a big deal because you play other teams and these tournaments, college coaches come and everything else. And so I, would, I knew I was going to be playing on our camp team. And so I had about six months to improve my athleticism. I started lifting weights. I, my bench press went from like 30 pounds to like 32 pounds. I started running more. I started doing agility drills. I mean, I started really trying to become the best athlete I could be to improve my athleticism because I wasn't going to sit on the bench again. Summer camp rolls around. I felt stronger. I felt faster. I felt ready. And the first couple of games we played in, there was a marked improvement, right? Now, the bar was like here, but I was better than I thought I was, and I was more confident than I had thought I had been before. And so the coach sort of noticed that, and he kind of was like, hey, you're doing all right. So our third game of camp season, and this is what can happen in camps, is the coaches can experiment because the records don't matter. It's just kind of to play. Coach came up to me before the game. He's like, all right, Daniel, we're starting you today. Now, the team we were playing against was called McIntosh High School. McIntosh High School had a, a, a guy on their team named Jeff Shepard. And we had heard about Jeff before, and Jeff played the same position I did. So, like, starting three minutes before tip-off, when I think I'm going to be on the bench except for my three minutes, they're like, you're playing, you're starting, and you're on Jeff Shepard. But I was ready, man. I'd been lifting weights. I'd been running. I'd been doing agility drills. I was ready. I was going to show off. College, college uh, coaches are all there to watch Jeff Shepard. But this was my coming out party, right? This is where I was going to make my mark. So I go out onto the court, and, and, and I notice some things about Jeff. First is, he's like four inches taller than me, even though we played the same position. That didn't matter. I'd been doing agility drills. I bet I was faster. I was quicker, right? <laughs> And I don't know why you're laughing. So he's like, he's taller than me. The other thing I noticed is even though I'd been lifting weights, his shoulders were like double as wide as mine, right? But I'm like, that's all right. You know, I've got the agility and I hustle, I hustle a lot, right? I'm ready to play. And so uh, the, the make matters worse, he, when he shook my hand, he's a nice guy, which is like the worst. He shook my hand, he's like, hey man, it's nice to meet you. Good luck today. I'm like, stop it, Shepard. I know what you're doing here. You're playing mind games with me by being nice. I'm your competition today, buddy. I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to be in, going with you. You're not going anywhere without me. You are going to know the name Thomas Daniel by the end of this game today. And the game started, and I was into it, right? Now, he was pretty good. He scored some and everything. But in the beginnings, I felt like I was holding my own. But early in the game, guy on my team, and I still blame him for everything that happened, he had the ball, and he made a bad pass, and McIntosh intercepted it. And they threw the ball ahead for a two-on-one fast break. Now, if you don't know basketball, what that means is you had two offensive players with the ball charging full speed at the basket and only one defender. And a fast break is all about athleticism, all right? It is like the more athletic person will win almost every time. This is my moment, baby. This is what I've been training for in, in becoming more athletic. This is my moment to shine. And I could see that he passed it ahead to Jeff Shepard. And Jeff had the ball, and he's going to the hoop. And I could tell he wasn't going to pass it. And so he jumped at the basket with the ball. And I jumped with everything, seriously, like everything I had. And I remember going up with him. And then something happened where the laws of gravity started impacting us in different ways because I sort of leveled out and started going down and he kept going up 
and he slammed the ball through the hoop with one hand. He knocked me over in the process, so I landed on the, my back on the floor, and the ball came through the hoop and hit me in the face and, and rolled away. And this guy like, leans over me. He's like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Can I help you up? And I'm like, stop being nice, Shepard. I don't need your pity right now. I'm your competition. And I got up, and, and, and the game didn't go very well. It's just how we're going to end it, okay? In fact, it didn't go so well that at the end of camp, all the campers gathered around at the end of the week, and they had a slideshow. You know how they do that at camp, of like the different plays? And the final slide was of Jeff Shepard posterizing me for a slam dunk. And you can see him slamming with one hand, and all I was doing was like this, <laughs> like that. And, 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 everyone on my, and then they kept the slide up during the closing speaker's remarks. So it's just up there for like an hour, or felt like an hour. And... And guys on my team are sitting, it's like, nice photo, Daniel. You're like, yes, thank you, this is great. Jeff Shepard was born to do things I couldn't do. I wanted to be like Jeff Shepard. Who do you want to be like? Who do you spend your time wishing you were more like, or what do you wish you were more like? We all have that. Jeff Shepard went on to be named the player of the year for the state of Georgia his senior year of high school. Jeff Shepard had the opportunity to go play college basketball at any place he wanted to. He accepted a scholarship to the University of Kentucky to play basketball, which is one of the top programs in the country. While at Kentucky in his four years there, they won two national championships while he was here. And his senior year, 1998, he, when he won a national championship, Jeff Shepard was named the most outstanding player of the Final Four. He went on to play in the NBA and professionally in Europe for a number of years. I didn't do any of that. Where we begin is what are the things about you and your life that God wants you to change and what are the things about you that is the Lord saying, this is how I made you. This is key to understanding what a flourishing life looks like. And I had to learn that in a few ways. Let me share with you, and again, you might be able to get this in your own way. One of the things I had to engage after that camp was why did I love basketball? And the reason that I, I realized afterwards is that part of what I loved about basketball was I was better than most people at it up until that point. And I liked knowing that. I liked winning. I liked other people knowing I was better than them. I liked being known in my school as a good athlete and a good basketball player. I liked being introduced in the starting five of a team. I liked that. I liked that attention. I liked it being about me. And I had to really wrestle with what I liked about it when that was taken away. Here's the thing. John Ortberg says that in every single one of our lives, our default way of living is to make life about us and what we want. And that that is a lack of life. John Ortberg says that if you want to be really unhappy in your life and really miserable, then make your top priority being happy. Say, I'm going to make every decision based on my happiness and what I like and what I'm going to need and what's going to bring me fulfillment and I'm going to have the world revolve around me because I am going to be happy. In the end of that, what you will have is an existence that is really small and really insecure where you're always comparing yourselves to other people and you will be lonely. The way to guarantee yourself a miserable existence is to say my top goal is to be happy. Because that is a lifestyle that's based on me being the point, and that is a tiny, small existence. But all of us do this in our own ways. 
It's our default, and we have to realize that. I wish at age 15 I had learned that through Jeff Shepard and said, you know, I just don't worry about being the center of attention anymore. It's, I don't have to worry about trying to make things about me. Unfortunately, my wife and my children and my friends all would go, it's like, yeah, you can be really selfish a lot of times. And here's the thing. I bet I'm not the only one in the room. Our default so much of the time is to make life about us. And so we have to reflect on that in Lent. Where are the places that you live that way? Where are the places that your choices are that way? And how could repentance mean living for something larger than yourself? But I learned some other things about me in basketball. I learned there were some things about me that I couldn't change. I couldn't make myself six foot five. I couldn't, no matter how hard I worked out, triple my vertical jump so that I could play college. I wanted to be like Jeff Shepard, and I had to accept the fact that no matter how hard I worked, I was never going to be that. How much time do you waste in your life comparing yourself and wishing you were like someone else? Who's the Jeff Shepard in your life? What's the family that you look at? What are the kids that you look at? What's the marriage that you look at? What's the lifestyle that you look at and say, if I was more like that, things would be better off? Now, again, some things reflecting and repenting on we have to change, but where are those places where God's going, Thomas, I know you're not like Jeff Shepard, and I designed you like that for a reason. And then how do you lean into those things that repenting is going, I'm going to stop making myself miserable trying to be someone else. And I learned some things in the next year as a basketball player while I sat on the bench. I learned some really important things about myself. One of the things I learned about myself that I loved being on a team. I loved that. I learned that when I wasn't the star player anymore, I still, in my core, loved being a part of a team. And I love that about my life. And that's part of how I'm wired. One of the things that gets me most excited here at Covenant right now is to see you guys to see the team and the team that God has put together that's forming and shaping you. On Thursday nights right now, we're doing new officer training with new elders and new deacons, and I see the team that's coming together, and I light up at that. Some people can spend their days writing books in front of a computer screen, and that they are just good there. That's how they're wired. I am not wired that way. I'm not wired in a way that I loved in competition and in playing sports of, of seeing how you could excel. There's a term in ministry that pastors talk about of being a maintenance pastor. Sometimes the church just needs someone to come in and keep it steady and maintain. I do not understand that. Like, there is no part of me, I mean, I get it intellectually, but I just don't function that way. I get bored in a minute. And, and I can't change that. So I have got to keep pushing. I have got to keep asking questions. They may not be the right questions, but I'm going to keep doing that. I learned that about me. And I learned something really critical about myself in sitting on the bench. I learned that I loved watching other people work at things and excel. Now, I don't want to sound altruistic. I can be more selfish than any of you. I promise you. But one of the things I learned about myself is that I loved in practice working with a guy who was much better than me and seeing him work at a skill or work at a move and then in a game do it and it worked. And I got great just joy from that. And as a pastor, that's so much of what my life is, right? Is, is being a pastor, you have to know from the beginning, my life isn't the point. The point is, are we part of a place that's forming and shaping, and that am I a part of a process of forming and shaping to encourage you all to go out 
and live life. My joy in ministry is found when I hear marriages coming alive or families coming alive or reconciliation happening or forgiveness happening or people going out in the city and seeing how things become different. How do we love Austin? As I see that, there is a part of me that just finds great pleasure and great joy in that. And those are the ways that God wired me where I have no idea if Jeff Shepard is like that or anybody else is like that. But those are the things that when I get miserable, I move away from those. Because the Lord's going, Thomas, I made you in a particular way, and you are never going to go to the University of Kentucky and play basketball. Because I have something different for you. Repenting means saying, Lord, I will lean into how you've made me versus trying to be someone else. We're going to end today by inviting you to consider some questions. we got four slides that we're going to bring up here. I want to bring up the first one. And these are some questions to begin this process. Because one of the things we do in Lent, and you can, I'd encourage you to write these down, or you, know, you guys are young and hip, so you like take photos of the screens or whatever it is. But I would encourage you to do this, because this is a way of reflect, or reflecting and repenting. And any of us can do this. This is the first question that we ask to say, where are we? And where are we in our spiritual lives? How are we doing to appraise ourselves. Number one, rather than going, how am I doing spiritually, which is an abstract thing, say, am I growing more easily discouraged these days? John Ortberg gives us this question. He goes, this is a great way to know your spiritual health. Are you growing more easily discouraged these days? And you may sit there and go, yeah, well, the state of the world, or the state of our country, the state of our city, or the state of my family, or the state of relationships, how can I not be? You're not called to only flourish when things are good on your terms. We are called to flourish. If you say yes to this, this is God saying, you need to think about some things that might need to be different in your life. Second one, am I growing more easily irritated these days? And let me give you a little secret on this one. You don't get to answer this yourself. (laughs) You need to ask other people who are close to you, and if they say yes, the answer is yes, whether you think it's true or not. Would those who love you and close to you say you're becoming more easily irritated these days? You weren't meant to live in a state of frustration. But the thing about being discouraged and being irritated is those are questions that based out of that default of being self-centered. I'm irritated because my parents or my friends or my spouse, they're not doing what I think they should do or say. And if they would only do what they're supposed to do or say, then I wouldn't be as irritated as I am. But they irritate me because that's seeing that default of seeing life out of yourself. So what do we do when we start seeing these? This is the next slide. Number three. So what are some Lenten practices to consider that will allow you to receive vitality from God that then shines through you to others? What are Lenten practices that say, I'm not going to make life about myself, but I want to receive life and vitality from God and reflect that to someone else. I want to become a part of a bigger story. Lenten practices are where you hear people say stuff like, oh yeah, for Lent I gave up like Facebook or chocolate, right? Um, The point of Lent and Lenten practices are not giving things up. As John reminded us this, uh, this year at Ash Wednesday, a few days ago, he said that, that Lent and practices are about saying no to some things in order to say yes to better things. So it's not, if, if all you're doing is giving up chocolate and that's it, it's, gonna make, it's really not going to make much of a difference. I mean, it might make you a little healthier. But that's not the point of Lent. The point is to say no to some things in order to say yes to better things to receive vitality from God that shines through you to others, you reflect it to others. So here's the last one. You might have a way of how you're going to do this at Lent. 
But if you don't, this is how I'm going to be doing it. This is, the, this is what we'll close with. And if you're looking for something to do going, I don't know what it means to like receive the vitality of God and let it shine through you, let me share with you what I'm going to try to do. One of the things that I'm going to try to give up is time on my phone. If you hear it, Ash Wednesday, John, and I felt very convicted by this. When John preached at Ash Wednesday, he had a study that said that the average American spends three hours a day on their phone. Three hours a day. And then we sit there like, I'm just so busy, I don't have time for things. Well, I feel like the Lord might be saying to me, it's like, Thomas, if you didn't spend so much time on ESPN, on your phone, maybe you would. Does it really matter what the reserve shooting guard from the Chicago Bulls is averaging in free throw percentage? Probably not, but I can get immersed in that stuff, right? So I'm trying to say no to as much time on my phone as something. But to do what? Well, the next slide shows what I'm going to be doing. This is a website where our church, and some of you already subscribed to this, sends out daily devotion emails. And I am trying to read the psalm of the day every day. See, one of the dangers of being a pastor when you teach this stuff and study this stuff a lot is that you don't actually read the Bible as much sometimes for yourself. And one of the things I've realized is I'm not reading the scriptures very much for myself. And that's not good. And so it's saying no to certain practices in order to do this in my life, to say yes to better things, to every single morning wake up and to read and reflect on a daily psalm. And what I believe in that is that in some kind of way, I'm going to encounter Jesus through his living word. And that maybe, just maybe, in the repetition of doing this, when we come to the end of these six weeks, I might look a little bit more like he wants me to than where I am today. You are uniquely created for a reason. There are things of you that God wants to change, but there are things about you where he is looking at you today saying, you, as you are, are my delight. You are my joy. And repenting may mean accepting that and trying less to be someone else. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would meet us here and guide us of the call upon our lives, of how we are called to live. We need you to guide and lead us on this path, and we pray that you would meet us here and change our hearts. We lift this before you, this prayer, in Christ's name. Amen.